0: Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Friday, December 2nd, and this is your FT News Briefing. Europe is moving towards a price cap for Russian oil, investors poured back into emerging markets, and many of the world's global corporations have plans to move toward net zero emissions. But there is a backlash brewing. I'm Sonia Hudson, in for Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. In just a few days, the European Union will ban Russian crude oil shipped by sea. The December 5th deadline adds pressure on EU member states to agree on a global price cap for Russian oil. The idea is to curb Moscow's oil revenues, which haven't been dented much by Western sanctions so far. Yesterday, Brussels proposed a cap of $60 a barrel. If member states agree, other G7 countries would have to go along with that price. Russia will likely discuss a response with the Saudis and other oil producers at an OPEC meeting on Sunday. It has been an awful year for emerging markets. But last month, investors had a change of heart – they poured back into emerging market stocks and bonds. J.P. Morgan's broad gauge of dollar-denominated emerging market debt jumped more than 7.5% in November, its best month since 1998. Here's the FT's Tommy Stubbington
1: so yeah this was this was a rally across the board although it is true that some of those that had sold off most sharply and that is uh, you know particularly things like certain countries that had you know basically been pushed to the brink of debt crises or into debt crises by uh, what's happened in markets this year are, are among those that have recovered most sharply so you know we've seen for example a country like sri lanka has defaulted on its debt we've seen uh, a debt crisis brewing in pakistan also in ghana those countries bonds recovered very sharply but it wasn't just those ones it was it was emerging markets across the board
0: so tommy how much does this november rally make up for losses earlier this year in emerging markets
1: so that's that's the point. We have to remember that these markets are still down heavily this year, in much the same way that the U.S. stock market is still down heavily this year, and and, and stock markets everywhere are. Yes, November was the biggest rally in in many many years for both stocks and bonds, uh, but they're both still sitting on double digit losses for the year as a whole.
0: And is this return to emerging markets expected to continue? You know, as major central banks raise rates more slowly. Or is this just a temporary relief? What are you hearing?
1: Well, I think there's a reluctance to predict a, a kind of more lasting rally for emerging markets here. Now, the reason being is, yes, we have relief provided by what's going on in US interest rates. But bear in mind that emerging markets like the rest of the world are you know probably about to face a global recession. Those economies that are already in debt distress are going to be battered by, by weaker demand at home and abroad. So even if you you have relief from the interest rate cycle, you then have the kind of the fundamentals deteriorating, the ability to repay your debts and for companies to make profits at home are going to get worse. So I think there's some sense out there, and obviously it remains to be seen, but there's some sense that this could be a sharp rally in the middle of a bigger bear market.
0: Tommy Stubbington is the FT's Capital Markets Correspondent. about a third of the world's leading corporations have made net zero pledges or goals to reduce carbon emissions to zero. But at the recent UN climate conference COP27, the FT's business columnist, Palita Clark, noticed a backlash in corporate sentiment. She joins me now to talk more about this. Hi, Palita. Hi, great to be here. So, Polita, you regularly go to these huge UN climate conferences. What changed between last year's meeting
2: and this year's meeting? So there was a huge difference for business people at COP26 in Glasgow last year. I guess the overwhelming sense that these businesses felt was that they were on the right path and they were part of the solution. They turned up in Egypt a year later at COP27 and were pretty much told that they were part of the problem by a group of experts who'd been appointed by the UN to look at these corporate net zero pledges. And their message literally was that too many of them are just rubbish. They're far too woolly. They haven't got enough scientific rigor. And really, businesses need to do a lot better.
0: What exactly did the report say? What, What do these corporations need to be doing better?
2: So there were many, many things they needed to be doing better. But for example, um, the report said that companies could not claim to be net zero if they were continuing to build or finance new supplies of fossil fuels, oil, gas or coal. It also said that they couldn't rely on cheap and often fairly suspect carbon credits or carbon offsets to offset their own carbon pollution. And instead, they had to focus on cutting their own emissions. And so, you know, all of this is, for some companies, it's a lot more than what they had bargained for when they set their net zero targets. And so there was quite a bit of unhappiness and quite a bit of kind of People saying, well, you know, it took us ages to get my company to agree to even set a net zero target. And now we're being told that everything that we're doing pretty much is not good enough.
0: So, I mean, does this mean or is there a possibility that we're going to see companies just get so fed up, say, you know, well, we can't do anything right and abandon their, their net zero pledges?
2: So this is what is a great unknown, actually. And I don't think it's going to be easy at all to abandon a net zero pledge once it's made. The difficulty is that for some sectors that if if you're trying to make trucks, for example, and you're buying steel that is generally at the moment overwhelmingly made with coal, Can you go out into the marketplace and say, well, I'd I'd just like to stop buying the steel made with coal and I'd like to buy the steel made with green hydrogen, thanks. Well, turns out there's hardly anyone making that green steel at the moment. That's where governments have to come in. They really need to step in and introduce the sorts of policies that are going to accelerate the production of things that are really needed by a lot of companies. Uh, in order to help them reach their net zero targets, So we're kind of in this very messy, difficult stage at the moment. Companies, in many cases, are are actually, I think, pretty well motivated and are full of people who really would like to do the the right thing. But it's incredibly difficult sometimes and incredibly expensive to do that.
0: Why is it so difficult to get this whole system of government and businesses on board? Because This whole apparatus needs to work together,
2: right? So in many ways, it's not surprising because as a species, humans have never tried to shift away or transform the global energy system in a matter of years rather than decades, which is what really needs to be done. You know, we we rely overwhelmingly on fossil fuels at the moment for our energy. And we have to cut that really, really quickly. It's incredibly difficult and fraught and messy. And I'm afraid I don't see that changing anytime soon. But I do think that the overwhelming direction of travel towards cutting emissions is not going to change.
0: That's the FT's Palita Clark. Thanks, Palita.
2: Thank you so much. Before
0: we go, this week has been thrilling for volcano researchers. The largest active volcano on the planet. Finally woke up. Mauna Loa on Hawaii spewed lava up in the air and down the mountains. Our science editor, Clive Cookson, saw a video of it and describes it as
3: a huge illuminated orange fountain. It's like a line of molten rock gushing out of the Earth's surface. It's one of the most spectacular things I've ever seen.
0: Volcanologists are also beside themselves, not just because they've been waiting nearly 40 years for this, but also because the mountain is covered in scientific instruments for collecting data.
3: And now that it's erupted, they'll be analyzing all that data for two reasons. One is to sort of find out more about the internal volcanic plumbing underground to find out how this magma, the molten rock at about a thousand degrees centigrade, rises up and then suddenly comes out. And secondly, perhaps more importantly, I want to learn lessons about how better to predict volcanic eruptions, because no one knew quite when this was going to happen.
0: That's the FT's science editor, Clive Cookson. You can read more on all these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back next week for the latest business news. The FT News Briefing is produced by Mark Filipino, Fiona Simon, and me, Sonia Hudson. Our editor is Jess Smith. We had help this week from David DeSilva, Michael Lello, and Gavin Coleman. Our executive producer is Topher Forges. Cheryl Brumley is the FT's global head of audio. And our theme song is by Metaphor Music.